Hello, and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Sands. And this week, we have, and I feel like I say this every episode, that we have a special episode for you, but I think this one truly is. This is an awesome story, um, and... I, I'm so thankful, Raj. So actually, let's do the introductions first. Uh, we're talking to Raj. Sorry, which uh, I, I am completely blanking on your last name now. I want to say Williams. No, Little. Yeah. Raj Little. Yeah. <laughs> or you could just like Prince. Yeah, know? yeah. It's a it, Raj. And next it'll be a symbol. But now it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Raj Again. Little. Raj, one of the brewers at Oak Park Brewing in Sacramento, California. We have up, Jeff, people? who is uh, I'm going to unmute to say hi because he uh, has a lot of noise around him, so we're keeping him muted. What's up, guys? And you're going back to mute. And <laughs> <laughs> we're also talking to uh, Theodore Mack Jr., and a big part of why we're talking today is a special project in honor of his father. Um, so thank you for joining us, Ted. Uh, thank you for being here, my friend. So, real quick though, before we t- start talking about the the important things, I want to get some shameless self promotion out of the way. Um, I have a new beer coming up soon that I just got the artwork ro- for, so I want to show it to everyone. I guess Jeff doesn't get to see it because he has his monitor in the wrong direction. Um, <laughs> but I, I I do this series of beers with Saints Row Brewing in Rockville, Maryland. That's just north of um, D.C. And they're called Super Hype Bros. And we've uh, the first ep- the first issue- edition of it was Super Mario Brothers themed. And it, the canned art was Super Mario Brothers. The second was Street Fighter themed. So it was me and the brewer drawn as Street Fighter characters. This one we had um, a friend named Chelsea join in. So... That's me as Luigi in the in the cart, and then Tony in the lead, and Chelsea looks like getting very angry because Tony must have did something to cut her off or something, I guess. But this comes out next month, uh, smack dab in between Chelsea and I's birthdays, so it's kind of like a birthday celebration for us. And it's called Super Hype Bros. 3. All right, enough of the shameless self-promotion. So, Rod reached out to me and told me a little bit about this, and he sent me the the press release. And reading through it, it's it is really a cool story that I'm kind of appalled that isn't out there more. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, it just feels like, especially with all the talk of adding more diversity to craft beer, like Ted, your dad should be talked a lot, talked about a lot more. I feel like. And I believe he will after we finish the projects that we're working on. And with the help of you uh, in this program here, just letting people know uh, the history of what we have in craft beer and the history that there is in this, my father being the first black man to own a brewery 50 years ago on uh, October 10th of this year when we celebrated and we relaunched his beer. So let's 
I think we, I th- actually, so I think we should start. Um, that's where we should start talking about your father and your father's brewery. Um, and then we can move on to talk about the current project. Um, so in 50 years ago, it, w- was that when the beer was first made or was that when, um, that's when my father took over the brewery in okay. with Johnson. Um, actually my father really wasn't in the beer industry. He was the civil rights giant at the time in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he led the March on Washington from Wisconsin. At the same time, he was the leader of core uh, Congress for racial equality in Milwaukee. So he is head of two organizations. And then, um, he, uh, had the, um, opportunity to put together the whole march uh, from all the transportation from uh, Wisconsin to get all the people to uh, uh, West, uh, to uh, Washington. And my father did it and he did it well. He was always about promoting his people, but dad understood this, that yes, we have the power to vote, but to truly be empowered as a people, you have to have economic power. And that doesn't come until you own something. And he said he wanted a seat at the table. And he wanted a seat at the table. Nobody giving him anything is what he earned and deserved. And so um, one day uh, he was hired on as uh, he got a degree in social work. He was hired by Milwaukee County. And they used to have him train these new white recruits, counselors coming in. And he would train them, train them well. And then they will promote them over my father. And my father kind of got tired of it and said, if you do it again, um, we call my father the wild bull because he used to take no stuff from nobody. <laughs> and they did it again. Uh, and he, he did what he said he was going to do. I'm going to leave. And he left. And so then he couldn't get no other job at, at that level in Milwaukee. So he went to work on um, the um, line at A.O. Smith making auto frames for automobiles. And uh, a lot of the other workers would laugh at him because here's this college educated uh, civil rights leader who's been on TV all this time, laying in front of buses and doing all the things that my father did. Um, Here he is working at A.O. Smith. My father knew he had to feed his family, so he did what he had to do and he did it well. One day he came home and there was this white gentleman waiting on him. And uh, my mother said, yes, he's been waiting for a while. And um, my my father, when he came to the door, the guy said, hey, Mr. Mack, I am, um, uh, he named who he was, Mr. Wyndham. Mr. Wyndham at the time was head of Paps Blue Ribbon Beer. He was the president CEO of Paps Blue Ribbon. And he was waiting for my father because he said, you know, Mr. Mack, I have an opportunity and I want to discuss something with you. And my father, he was the type of gentleman that would let you know where he stands from point blank, from number one. He said, I want to let you know, I'm not, I don't know if you, I don't know if you want me to use some bad language here. I probably won't. He said, I'm not a house inward, which means that I'm not one to bow down. I'm, I'm a man to be reckoned with and I'm going to do things right. Well, uh, Mr. Wyndham told my father, I know who you are. You know, I've seen what you've accomplished. I know exactly who you are. 
And uh, what I would like to do is for you to come down to the brewery on tomorrow, and I'd like to give you a tour. And uh, my father said, well, you know, again, you know what I said? He said, I know, Mr. Matt, just come down and we'll take a tour. And my father said, okay, he told him what time to be there. Of course, my father was there half an hour before the brewery even opened, just to make the right impression. When he got there half an hour before it opened, it was amazing because Mr. Wyndham was already there. My father said, aha, another man of excellence. So they hit it off right there by knowing that, hey, these guys about excellence and so am I. So he gave my father a tour and after he got done, he said, um, Mr. Mack, how many blacks have you seen in here? And my father said, less than I can count on one hand. And he said, do you think that's right? My father said, hell no, it's not right. You know, he said, Milwaukee is about 30% black. So your um, the workers you have here should represent that. And he says, I'm in agreement. And see, this was a time when they killed Martin Luther King. And when they killed Martin Luther King, there were riots. And people think there are riots now. That's not riots. That, that, that was a little disturbance. You had some broken windows and all that. But it got so bad there. Oh, my goodness. I remember that they had tanks coming down the street. Oh, my. Yeah. And I remember that because I was a little kid at the time. OK. And I um, some of the kids said, hey, they got they, the, the corner store is giving away free candy. Well, all I know, I'm a little kid. I like, OK, free candy. I'm going to get my candy. So I went in there, got my free candy, came out and I went around the corner and there was a tank. And all I could see for me was these white soldiers with machine guns. That's what I thought. And a bazooka, I thought, was pointed right at me. And at that point, I said, I guess this candy was not free. And I ran home scared that these folks were going to come kill me. And that's why I remember how bad it was. We even had the right soul brother on our house so it don't get burned down. But... Uh, uh, we, we, my father was one that just kept on going. He went there and the, the guy told him, well, what do you think? And then he told my father, I want you to make this change because I'm not only the president of Paps Blue Ribbon, I am chairman of the board of Com uh, Chamber of Commerce. So he told my father that they made a decision that change has to come. And a lot of times in America, we make change when, when it gets to the point when there is violence or it gets to the point when you, they push right to the edge, then they have to make change. Like how you kind of saw right in this, this time period now. So um, my father said, only way I will accept in helping you with this, if you, I only report to you and no one else. And he agreed. And so my father started uh, Paps Blue Ribbon in a management position and he hired 300 men both black and white, but mostly black, because my father wasn't going to make it a racial thing where it's just all black, because that's not the kind of guy he was. But he was going to make sure the majority were black. And he did that. And um, he proved himself as a manager, too. There was a time when the line broke down, and um, they, the rest of the white managers would not pay for the overtime, signed a bill for the overtime for the rest of the workers to work. And they would not do overtime once they fixed the line. And my father said, if we do not sign this bill for the overtime, 
that the shelves will be filled with another beer. And he said, if shelves are filled with another beer, we lose market share. And that's how my family get paid. And that's how your family are eating too. I was signing. And they were like, okay, this end is in trouble now because he going to get fired when he signed this. Well, my father signed it. And he came home. He told my mother what she did. He said, I might be, I might, this might be my last day working there. She said, what did you do this time, Ted? He said, I'm just, <laughs> you know. And um, my father walked in the office the next day. And when he got there, the secretary came running into uh, my father's office, the secretary of the CEO, Mr. Wyndham, and said, Mr. Wyndham wants to see you right now. President Wyndham wants to see you right now, right away. And my father said, okay, I'm coming. And he was coming in behind her and he strolled in uh, to his office. And basically what happened was as um, my father came in, he told my father to take a seat. He said, take a seat, Mr. Mack. My father told me that he said, no, nah, I'll take this standing up. And uh, he said, okay. And he said, well, is this your signature that approved this overtime? My father said, yes. He said, why did you do that? And he said, because your family, my family, and everyone's family in here, we only make money when our beer is on those shelves so people can buy it. And I was not going to give an opportunity for our competitors to get an advantage on us. He said, that's why I signed it, and I'll sign it again. And he looked at my father, and he said, Mac, that's why I hired you. <laughs> you the only man in this company that has the balls to stand up to me. And I knew I hired the right one and you knew the right, you would do the right thing. Well, my, after that point, he told my father, I want you as a black man back in that day to learn everything about the beer business, except being a master brewer. And my father did just that. And then opportunity struck. There used to be a beer called uh, uh, Blacks. Blacks was uh, uh, owned by Pabst Blue Ribbon, but there was an antitrust uh, situation that came up, and they said they had to divest themselves of that. Well, my father was a manager at Pabst Blue Ribbon, and so he had all the inside information. So he started going around asking all the white secretaries about information about Paps, a blast, I mean. And uh, they gave it to him, and they little did they know my father was putting together a business plan. And he went home, and in his book, uh, Memoirs of Theodore Max Sr., he wrote The Country Boy, Memoirs of Theodore Max Sr., he wrote this. He said, I had to make a decision. I had this crazy thought in my head that no black man has ever done. He said, but you know what? I'm going to do it. And he called up one of his main partners. I think it was Crosby. And Crosby said, yeah, Mac. He said, I got a crazy idea. He said, yeah, Mac, I know how it is when you get these crazy ideas. What are we going to do now? And he told him about it. And then Crosby said, let's do it. And that was it. My father ended up writing a proposal that New York bankers, it was a black bank, that um, gave him a $9 million loan contingent on them winning the bid. 
bid day came. Everybody bid it. The last bid was this black group that shocked them coming in the door, my father. And they bid $9 million, which was the highest bid. So apparently they won blacks. Well, back in the day, just like systematic racism is alive today, they did it to him. All of a sudden, this big situation came where you can rebid if you white. And they allowed G. Heidemann to rebid at $10.8 million. But see, my father already did his research. He said, boy, that place was worth $45 million. He said, all I need my, my banker to do to get an appraisal of what the true worth was, and we're going to up our bid and win it anyway. They, the judge would not let the black group rebid. Oh, it's going to take too long. So they just gave it to G. Heineman. And my father was crushed because he said, this is an opportunity for blacks to be at the table, to own a, a major brewery and to have impact. But systematic racism made sure that wasn't so. And even and my father said, I told my guys, listen, this is history and the whole world is looking at us. He said, the problem is that they usually see in blacks hollering, screaming, and out of control in the way they want to picture us. But he said, they're going to see professional black men handling it in a professional way. And we're not going to be hollering and screaming. He was disappointed. He still fought on, but he, he told them, uh, Y'all did what you wanted to do, but I'm not going to give up. I'll be back. And that he was. He got plenty of offers from breweries at that point. And because he knew the business at that time, all of them were junk. And he said, I'm not going to buy any junk. And then came a guy with this brewery, this small brewery out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And my father said, Oshkosh, Wisconsin? He said, wait a minute, man. He said, is there any blacks in Oshkosh, Wisconsin? He said, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> he came back and there were no blacks in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And my father said, my kids are young kids and I, I have to take them to school. And, and, you know, I want them in an environment where they feel safe. And he said, well, Mr. Mack, there, there, there are some students there in the university and come to find out there was one, when we moved, my father finally said, well, I, I'll go check it out. He said, I'll give you that much. I'll go check it out because most of the stuff I looked at was junk. He checked it out and he, he called one of his friends, Crosby, said, let's go check it out. They went and checked it out. He said it was pretty sound for what he thought. But my father was a smart brother. He said, you know what? This is a situation where I need an engineer. I'm not an engineer. I need to make sure the plant is sound and everything else is. Guess who he called up? He called up Wyndham. Wyndham, who was part of that taking blacks away from him, he knew he was part of it, but he said, Mac, I owe you one. And they were friends anyway at this time. He said, I'm going to send my best engineers and my brew master to go check that place out and make sure that this is what you think it is. And he did that. And the rest is history. My father brought the brewery 
he had to go through a situation where now he couldn't use that nine million dollar loan because he it was stipulation was on plat. So he had to go out and get a SBA loan, which he did. And they promised him that they were going to help him and they were going to help him expand. They said, and this was when um, they had a situation where they're going to allow uh, minorities to get a piece of the pie, so they say, but that was a lie too. And um, so my father did the paperwork, did everything, did. And my father knew this because I didn't bring this picture down. I have a picture of him with his finger in the face of a governor. And that's because he got that governor in office. The black vote got him in office. And the governor said, I'm going to have a black judge in Milwaukee County, which never has happened before. And he called up all the politicians and the civil rights people and said, you know, I'm going to be announcing the judge. And they thought this was it since you calling us. And he announced another white judge. And they were angry, just so angry. And my father, after he cooled off, he was the one that spoke for the whole group and put his finger in his nose and said, listen here. We put you in office and we'll take you out of office. You need to put a black judge in Milwaukee County. He was that kind of guy. He was a guy that got things done. When he first went up to Oshkosh, when they when when they approved, they they they, would, they lost the paperwork. So he had to go to Washington and uh, take his senators up there and Congress people. And they found the paperwork, and all of a sudden, he got his loan. But there was a stipulation. He didn't have to come up with 10%. He didn't have to come up with 15 or 20%. He had to come up with 50% of the loan. And he said, I never heard no craziness like this. But he said, you know what? This is meant to stop me. And he said... This is going to get my end up back in the day. It says, this is going to get me, I'm mad, and this is going to get, yo, I'm, you're not going to stop. Well, he said, we'll do stock. So they on the day that they were selling stock, they had only two places. But they couldn't sell stock until what? You dealt with security exchange, right? Guess what security exchange did? They lost his paperwork until he talked to the governor who he got in office and he said to that guy if you do not find max paperwork and get it taken care of you'll be fired all of a sudden his paperwork came up it's crazy how that happens yeah yeah isn't that something <laughs> and then all of a sudden he was able to do the stock buy okay so there's only two places they could sell it milwaukee wisconsin and oshkosh wisconsin oshkosh wisconsin was all white Oshkosh, Wisconsin was a place that really backed George Wallace. If you remember who George Wallace was, he was this real racist that ran for president. And um, then in Milwaukee, so he expected that the sales to Milwaukee would be go all right because it's mostly black people were going to buy it in Milwaukee. But in Oshkosh, he said, I'm not going to go with all my backup, with all my partners and all that. I'm going by myself. He said, son, I put on my mohair suit and they're going to see an intelligent black man handling his business come <laughs> up here and representing that went to college, played football for Woody Hayes, and went to Ohio State and got finished off his degree at Marquette University. And he said, they're going to see this one. And he went up there by himself and uh, nobody else, my, my, I think my mother went up there with him and 
he said he was shocked and surprised. The parking lot was full. And those people were there to buy people's beer. And I read an article about it as I was doing the research, and this one white lady said, I knew it was a good beer. And I knew from him talking, he's a good person. And people are working from Oshkosh there, and I'm going to support what we know is right. And it's not because he's black, but it's because he's a businessman and because we know that it's a sound beer. And that it was. And that's how people's beer got started. What what was the name of the brewery before your father purchased it? It was People's Beer. Okay, People's so beer it, was, they didn't yeah, change it, the name. It was around for a long, okay. long time. This the recipe that I gave these guys was a hundred year old recipe. Wow. Well, let, let's take um one real uh, our first real quick sponsor break, and then I think this would be a perfect segue then to talk about how this project uh, came to be. That'd so be great. We'll be right back. Yes, sir. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right. I also took this opportunity to grab myself a beer. I was going to uh, stick with water, but I was starting to feel jealous seeing Raj and Jeff take a swig, take a swig of a beer every once in a while. Although I have to say, um, I don't know if there's anything that would be more polar opposite of um, the people's beer than what I'm drinking. I don't, I don't think it has the same tasting notes as a uh, heavily fruited sour. <laughs> but I'll, I'll stick with what I know. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. So how, um, how, how did this come to be? So it, it's, it's a very, um, uh, I can't think of the right word to say, but like a bi-coastal product or a collaboration kind of. So it's a brewery that started in Wisconsin, um, yep. a gentleman who's living in Atlanta with a brewery that's in Sacramento. So how, uh, how did, uh, this start out? Who, who approached who and how did the, okay. it take off? 
Um, this don't is don't forget, Jeff. If you want to talk, you have to raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story that uh, when I tell people, they're like, "Wow, that is hard to believe." See, I'm, my father was a very spiritual man. His grandmother, his mother, not his grandmother, his mother, his grandmother was a slave. His mother was a um, slave too. So. Um, he, his mother always told him, believe in God. And she made sure the family had was grounded in their faith. And even today, I'm a deacon at a church because of this, 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 give this, that been given to us to believe in something higher than ourselves. You know, that, that, sorry to interrupt you real quick, but I was going to ask you what you did for a living. Um, because you're an amazing storyteller. And so like that makes complete sense. Like you like you you're just one of those people that when you're like are talking, you're like just on the edge of your seat listening to every word, like you know how wow. to tell a story perfectly. Wow. And I'm an author. I wrote a book about my father and this journey uh from a family perspective is called um a Man Unafraid, Reflections of My Father. And it should be coming out um, probably the first quarter of next year. Okay. And my father wrote his book, uh, Country Boy, Memoirs of Bill Max Sr. So they both should be coming out. I believe that be powerful to what's going on right now as we expand this launch and then we'll be able to uh, hear his, his story and hear my story, some things that's in my story, because what, what happened was pretty awesome. When we moved, there was this big case filled with his information. And that's where I got all the information from the book, that the lawsuit, the $100 million lawsuit that he had against the government, all the articles that I write about, I didn't have to go online for most of that. I got all of that from his notes and from his articles that he saved and uh, his book that he wrote. Um, and in my book, I have a handwritten speech that he did. And I said, wow, this would be pretty cool to put in the book. But anyway, how, how it started, um, it was like three weeks before this happened. I pray every morning. Okay? And um, I do something called discipleship groups where I am basically mentoring about eight couples. Okay, we meet twice a month and help them deal with this life called marriage, which is not easy. If anybody married, you know, it is not easy, but it's worth fighting for. And um, as I was doing that, uh, a gentleman called up from, um, he was from a university of where was it? New Mexico or something like that. And he said he wanted to do a, a book on my, my father and wanted me to co-write co, co it with him. I said, okay, that's cool. I'm, I'm, I agree with it. And I said, but I, when I told him dad they already did a book and we're going to get it published, he, he was kind of disappointed. I said, well, we can do it from another avenue. You can have the, the reflection of um, the uh, family view and view me and view my mother. And then you can write it that way. He said, that would be great. Well, after he came down and did the interview and everything, he got back. I get an email and said that we're not going to do a collaboration. But um, at this point, the university had once uh, just him on the face of the cover. And um, 
you know, um, I said, okay. Yeah, I wasn't happy. I was very angry at the time. And I said, man, this reminds me of some things that happened to my father, of people who not keeping their words and uh, thinking you can fool us with that race thing. And uh, I was angry. But then I heard something in my spirit. And it, was, it almost sounded like my dad. My dad had this boom voice and it just this, this this presence that would knock you out when he come when he walked in the room white or black whoever you are you knew who ted mack was and it was like he said to me boy you know what i would do and i was like wow then i heard something else like what you gonna do now and i said i'm gonna write it myself and that's what started this whole project i started writing this book and I, it, like night and my night and day, I was on it twenty four seven. My wife's like, "Wow!" I said, "I'm just driven to get this book." And then some. I was praying one day, and it was like, "You got to get this book." And this other book I was working on, you have to have everything done by July fourth of this year. And I said, "Okay, I'm gonna get it done by July fourth. I got it done by July fourth, but three weeks before then, there's." A prophetic ministry at our church and they they spoke to me and they said you know what there's something about to happen they said you're about to go through a promotion and you're about to be put in front of people that's going to surprise you and i see a change and you're going to be able to make a change for people especially for young black men black men both old and young but especially those young black men that need a voice and you're going to be that voice for them because I, I do a lot of mentoring. So I was like, and, and you're going to be expanding your businesses to help this, what God is calling to. So I was like excited about that. Then I was told about, um, you know, the surprise thing. And then on July 6th, two days after I was told to get it done, I get a, a message from a Nicole West. And you know, I'm a. If you're married, my brother, you know you you don't you're not gonna get nothing on Facebook from no woman, and you don't let your wife know you be getting in trouble, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I saw Nicole West. I said, uh oh. I said somebody trying to hunt a brother down. I said, baby, there's a Nicole West. You know Nicole West? She said, no. I said, I don't know either. You know, I said, but they sent me this information, and I, you know, I'm not gonna open it up unless you you checking it out with me. She said, come on, open up. Well, I opened it up and it said that I'm the assistant of the former mayor of Sacramento. And I said, hmm, I think I know who that is, you know. And he has, uh, he really wants to talk to you about your father. And he has a strong interest in what your father has done. And he's a fan. I was like, wow, okay. I don't know what this is, but okay. And so eventually I gave him my number, gave her my number. And, um, Next next couple minutes, I get a call. Okay, I'm Kevin Johnson. I uh, first of all, you know, I just want to let you know that I'm calling because a while back I brought this beer, and we're thinking about doing uh, Black Lives Matter beer and all that. But he said, when doing our research, we we looked up and saw your father, Theodore Max Senior, and he's the original Black Lives Matter. 
he is the original who started this beer. And the more I read about him, the more powerful it is. And so we started talking and um, then we both realized that there's something there. And um, for the most part, I uh, I don't look at a person's celebrity or anything like that. That doesn't really, I'm not one of these guys who go, oh, this is who, who, I don't care about that. You know, my thing is, how is a person's heart? And I liked his heart. He may not be perfect, because I know I'm not perfect, but he had a good heart from what I talked to, what I observed, and I told my family that too. So we uh, made an agreement, um, a business agreement, because my dad told me to be a businessman. So a business agreement made the LOI on um, how we're going to go forward. And um, then we had a contract. And um, then um, when we had all that tied down, we pushed for, further and further with the, the vision. And uh, that what culminated in me coming down there on um, October, well, I came down there before October 10th. I came down there when they had a first anniversary of Fixton's restaurant, uh, restaurant that he has there. And he's doing a lot in the community. And that's what they showed me. That's what I was impressed with. They have restaurants, uh, Slim and Huskies, Fixins. They have Oak Park Brewery, which has uh, food too, as you see. Uh, Jeff was getting into some of that pie, which they didn't have when I was there, or I've been into it. <laughs> But uh, I like what he's doing. And not only that, uh, when he, he, they showed me the school. Now, there's a school that they have there. And uh, this, this high school, I believe, only 30%, when they got it, only 30% went to college, which is not a good rate. But they told me, guess what it is this year, Mr. Mack? I said, what is that? They said, it is 96%. I was like, what? And that blew me away because not only are they doing the economic side, but they're doing the educational side. And, they're, 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 and, and the community is just vibrant. Jobs and people are feeling good about themselves. And, and then uh, I said, yeah, I made the right choice. So that's how I got connected with them. Is, is a lot of the, that town's revitalization, that area based on the brewery? No, no. Oh, okay, based, I didn't know. If it's it... based on uh, what uh, the, um, the mayor did with, uh, I think it's called 40 Acres. And basically what it is, is, um, you know, empowerment of the community. And he told me what he would do is go and look at some of the best practices of the other mayors around. And he took the best practices and brought them to Sacramento. And that's what you see in happen right there in that little area there and okay. it's pretty awesome to see i just know there's um there's a lot of places throughout the country i i can think of one specifically in pittsburgh um where a brewery came in and was not like 100 percent responsible but like was very instrumental in the revitalization of a whole yep. Yep. area because of the added money that that brought that brought into the town and that's powerful it, it can't have that impact and um you know that's that's one thing why i loved it also because it was that opportunity my father was all about empowerment and jobs and owning something so you can hire people and like you say revitalize. Really that means that you know 
there are 200 and something people that have jobs because of these restaurants and the brewery and all that from the community. Yeah. From that community. And, and what I love when I walked in there, now look at this picture. You see Jeff and you see Raj. When I first got there, I saw this multicultural thing going on and it wasn't a forced thing. It was family. You know what I'm saying? And I knew at that point that this was the right decision. Because I pray about it. I I don't move unless I feel like it's the right move. Okay? This was the right move. This is what my father, that picture back there that you see back there, this is something that he would have wanted. Because when he went to Oshkosh, the story was that he was, okay, now it's a black brewery and he's going to fire all the white folks. And now, my father's not that kind of man. He said, listen, I own people's beer and nobody can tell me what to do with people's beer. And he said, all the people who are working here to make it survive and make it what it is now are still going to be here. And there were no blacks up there except for him. He was the only black in people's beer. But he said, if I hire more and have other distributions and do whatever I'm going to do in Milwaukee and hire blacks, which he did, he said, that's my prerogative. He said, this is not a black beer or a white beer. This is a people's beer. And that's what it is. And so we got together and this is how it all came together. And I let Jeff throw in his part. I'm done, Jeff. <laughs> hey, <Jan. laughs> all right, we'll see if we, if we can unmute him. There we go. Okay, you guys hear me okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, as Mr. Actually, Mac wait, pointed out, but before yeah. uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Actually, yeah. why don't we take our last um, sponsor okay. break? That way, we can just talk completely uninterrupted for the rest of the time, and not okay. uh, we'll get into so, your story. And um, sounds good. So we will be right back. Cool. The NCAP Podcast is brought to you by District East. A lot of Friday and Saturday afternoons, you'll find me at District East for their weekly beer tastings. District East is part of the local beer community, and they get limited releases and exclusive beers that are hard to find anyplace else. This is why I chose District East for the release of my collaboration beers. One of my favorite things to do at District East is building a custom six-pack. With over 900 beers on their shelves and new beers every week, District East is a great place to find beers I love and to discover new and hard-to-find ones. They also have eight beers on tap for Crowler and Growler fills, and they have kegs to go. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beers lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. I'm excited to announce our newest sponsor, Vanish Farmwoods Brewery. Vanish is a brewery and entertainment complex located on a 62-acre hops and apple farm in Luckett's, Virginia, just 20 minutes from Frederick, Maryland and Leesburg, Virginia. 
With over 20 beers on tap, a selection of wines and ciders, along with multiple food options, there is something for everyone. Vanish has live music on Saturdays and Sundays and a wide variety of special events. Go to VanishBeer.com for information on everything they have to offer. All right, Jeff. Um, yeah. I wish you luck following up Ted because uh, <laughs> I personally don't want to talk because I don't think anyone has any interest in what I have to say at this point. I mean, um, yeah. But hey, <laughs> best of luck to you, buddy. <laughs> it won't it won't be nearly as impactful um or yeah but okay you ready yeah we good okay so um as mr mac mentioned kevin johnson is one of the owners here at oak park brewing company um, we reopened about a year and a half ago at this point in time and we took over for an old brewery that went out of business and it was also called oak park brewing company um and they had some negative stigmatisms in the beer industry out here in Sacramento about the name and um, Kevin was very adamant about keeping the name Oak Park Brewing Company because this was his hometown this is the neighborhood he grew up in and he wanted to continue to support his neighborhood and once we heard that we were all on board and we wanted to you know continue to push the community of Oak Park forward and and help be a very productive part of the the community here you know we focus on diversity inclusion a place of community where people feel welcome and you know one of kevin's requirements um was that he wanted to hire someone from the neighborhood and as soon as he said that um uh, my wife becca and i she handles the social media marketing and all that um she's like the third wheel in our brewing team here with raj and i and we both looked at each other and we we're like, oh, we know who we're going to hire. And and that was Raj Little, of course. And um, so we had an initial conversation with Raj and um, he ended up having a follow up conversation with Kevin about coming on board and the vision of the company. Um, but one of Kevin's visions, even early on before we opened, was he brought up people's brewing company and you know as soon as we opened we had a picture of Theodore Mack Sr. giving his speech on October 10th addressing the the community and the day he bought the brewery so that was something that we've had in our hallway since we've opened and you know this is something that has it started there small and then you know Kevin reached out to Mr. Mack and his family and they they have come to terms and have made a great partnership and we're really proud of this beer and what it represents and how it supports our community. And it'll soon be supporting the community, hopefully nationwide at some point in time, we are looking in other um, avenues to produce the beer at a, at a, a bigger rate, a larger volume than what we can do now, because we're a tiny seven barrel brew house here and, and we can't produce it fast enough. So, um, we are very excited to be a part of this project and what it represents to the country and what it represents to the Mac family and to Oak Park. Can we, can we talk to Raj a little more about that? Um, yeah. mainly because there's a really bad squealing noise when I unmute you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you're going back in the corner. Okay. If, if you want to talk, um, I'll go, I'll go jump say, on Roger's computer. Same, same rules apply. Uh, raise your hand or go jump on Roger's computer. 
Okay, sorry about but, that. Uh, <laughs> you are back to muted. <laughs> um, so, Raj, though, I guess what is that kind of looking for a um, a contract brewer brewery situation or doing it as a more collaborative thing like Black is Beautiful? That's, or is actually, that... that's a great question for Jeff. That's more on the admin side. Dang it. So, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, raise your head. <laughs> so, uh, he can tell you more about that and go into detail. Are you available, Jeff? Is this better? Actually, yeah, yeah that sounds a lot better. He's okay. on the move. He's on the move. <laughs> on the move. I just left the brewing area, so I'm going to pop yeah. down real quick here. Um, so you guys can hear me okay? Yeah, you, sa- you okay. sound significantly better now. Okay, I'm going to have to go back in there, though, in a minute, but I'll just chime in here real quick. So um, right now, Oak Park Brewing Company has a Type 75 license, which limits our capacity to brew to 5,000 barrels a year. Um and we are brewing about 1,200 or so barrels right now. We are looking at expanding our current facility to hit that 5,000 barrel mark. Um, we are also looking at building our own new brewing facility with a Type 23 Wait, license. Hold, hold on one second. Uh, okay. Mainly only because it sounds like there's music playing in the background. I can't win. I'll be uploading this to YouTube, and that could end up getting this struck. <laughs> we have Pandora Mood, so we got our licensing okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll go in the back deep corner of the brewery. Maybe All that'll right. be better. <laughs> we just can't if win. Not, I'll just go back. I, and, I, I think and we just go back talk. to letting Ted talk. is that any better can is it too loud still no actually that's fine it it wasn't so much that it was loud as there was just like a a high-pitched squeal so i think it was just picking up yeah i was sitting right next to our our brew house pump and it's kind of old (laughs) (laughs) there that's much better okay so um as i was saying we are actively create a new type 23 license here um at oak park brewing company so we could go out and build um, which would allow us to distribute hopefully nationwide at some point in the near future um in the meantime once we do get our license approved while we're building out our facility there is we've already had talks with other local breweries here in sacramento and we would plan to have talks with breweries and other um, states like Wisconsin and Georgia to where we can contract brew with them for the time being to okay. get the beer out to the public. Yeah. So that the plan would be to take it nationwide. Yes, definitely. Okay. Global. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, why think small? I'm an idiot. <laughs> Thankfully I'm not the one making any decisions. <laughs> Hey, is the sound better, Chris? Yes, yes. Oh, Jeff, sorry, cool, cool. Yeah, I don't. I think I don't even have to mute you this time. Well, I'm I'm like holding my computer up against the fermenter right now, so I'm gonna have to walk back okay. up front in a yeah, second. Yeah, you should All be right. me and when I want to talk, I'll just walk back here. Sounds good. You're you're going back okay. on mute now. Cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, um. Actually, I would let's talk about you. Like, so typically, my episodes revolve around 
um, like talking to the people, how they got into um, brewing, how the brewery got started. Um, so, Raj, why don't you tell us, like, how did you get into brewing and then how, how'd you end up as a brewer, a brewer at a brewery? Because I think that's, you know, like, that, it's a big initiative of the Brewers Association um, na- nationally and a lot of local ones to try to make the brewing teams at breweries and ownerships more diverse. Yeah, uh, that, that's actually a really good question. And uh, before I speak on how I got into becoming a commercial brewer and doing the home brew, so in my opinion, if you have to tell somebody that they have to do something, you know, that means they're on their own accord. So with Oak Park Brewing, we all have great hearts here. So uh, coming into this, I got behind the vision. Once I sat down with Kevin, the vision fired me up, not so much the job. I had a job, you know, making pretty decent money. But uh, when he started talking about the vision, I was sold on the vision. So uh, that's how I ended up at Oak Park Brewing. As far as like getting into home brewing, I got a uh, beer tab that was super high. <laughs> <laughs> at my buddy's establishment. And I was like, dude, there's no way I've bought like $400 worth of beer. I like drinking beer and buying beers for friends, but there's no way. So uh, I ended up paying that tab and uh, I just took, you know, took a couple months off, uh, took the money, like set money aside that uh, I could utilize to buy homebrewing equipment, books, started reading uh, in the beer world here in Sacramento, I was surrounded by a lot of home brewers, commercial brewers, uh, inspiring brewery owners. So I just started hanging around and learning. And, uh, you know, I got turned out by the Belgian styles. So uh, I wasn't a beer fan until about like 16 years ago. You know, so my first beer was a Guinness. And uh, when my buddy Rob at Pangea Beer Cafe, when he opened up his spot and, and incorporated you know, the Belgian style beers, man, it was like game on. I was looking for flavor. All the Belgian styles had flavors. I was learning about, you know, the hoppier beers, the IPAs, the Pellels, uh, learning about the Trappist beers. Uh, just you name it, man. I just jumped into it head first and, uh, you know, it became a hobby. But then it turned into an expensive hobby. <laughs> it adds up fast, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it adds up quick. And, uh, you know, I, I just got an opportunity to get around different people. I got around, you know, people that were judging beers for competitions. Uh, also, like, uh, reps for, like, breweries, uh, distributors. Uh, also, on the uh, ingredient side of it, uh, the equipment side of it. And uh, I just felt like this is where I needed to be. So I just stuck to it, and here we are today. What What were you doing before you got into brewing? I was actually working <laughs> for a company, uh, equipment rental company, but they put on beer events like beer, beer festivals. Okay. Uh, like special events. We catered, did weddings, like anything that had liquids involved. We were there. So uh, that gave me an opportunity to get hands-on knowledge and actually interactions with like, you know, keg machines, like building out beer trailers, trucks, things like that. So uh, 
that's what I was doing before I started brewing commercially. Just yeah, I was in the beer world. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting is there's there's just so many people in craft beer that were in some sort of technology or finance seem to be the two places that people come from that they they've gotten sick of doing and then um the romance of craft beer calls them in yeah yeah so um how how long ago did you say that um oh, i guess it was reopened that um oak park reopened it was about a year and a half ago so it wasn't they basically slid back in it's like there was no grand opening so uh in june about a year and a half ago you know the doors reopened and uh people just started sliding in sliding in even me you know i just popped in one day and fell in love with the vividonis which you're going to be kegging and canning <laughs> in a couple of weeks so uh it's a double ipa but uh you know it's like ultimately man the community started coming around uh things started picking up you know, uh, Jeff hit me up. I was like, okay, I'm in. I talked to Kevin. Let's get it on. So initially, Jeff's plan was to have eight beers on tap and we would have guest taps. But uh, once we started working together, it was like, man, we were coming up with like recipes and the beers were great. And uh, we just kept rolling with it. And uh, yeah, man, it's like, <laughs> I'm I, uh... here now. <laughs> I like um I like your label art. Cool. There, there's a That's lot of cool awesome. ones. I and I saw I've seen that RBG one all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's Becca. Becca is the third wheel in this uh, brewing team, and uh, she holds it down. She keeps Jeff and I in check. But as far as like the art, she's an artist, and uh, she definitely reaches out to the community and. Uh, and she makes it happen. So uh, we get a lot of compliments about our cans, you know. So if anything, it's like you pick it up and you read a story, you're going to remember that story, which is going to allow you to remember the beer style, you know. So uh, she does a great job, and I'm, I'm blessed to be working with her and Jeff. Does, um, do you guys have, like, styles that you specialize, or it kind of seems like you just specialize in making beer? that if if it's beer you're going to make it and put it out yeah that's uh we have a lot of requests and uh i know jeff and i we communicate a lot so we're always throwing things around if we can't get to it like right now somewhere down the road we're going to be doing something uh we're actually going to try to brew a kettle sour in a couple of days that's something we've been talking about for like almost a year so uh uh, Jeff has a question. <laughs> yes. What was it? Were you waving to someone, or you want to talk, Jeff? I was just saying bye to some guests. So. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. All right. Oh, I thought it was like kill Raj, kill cut Raj, cut Raj. Yeah. Right. But no, Jeff, you're you going back you on mute. About, well, Actually, Jeff, so you want to talk about the different styles? Like, uh, how do we come up with styles? Well, real quick question too. So okay. you're doing your first kettle sour. Are are kettle sours big on the West Coast? Kettle sours, we get a, a lot of recommendations for doing sours, but we are, you know, we have a small system and then uh, you brew a, a traditional sour beer and you mess up, that's all you're going to end up brewing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're open to doing the kettle sour. Hopefully in the near future, you know, when we get another brewing setup, we could do sours, you know, but uh, we're strapped for space. 
and uh, you know that won't allow us to uh, venture out into the sour world. But kettle sours are moving extremely well out here, along with the IPAs and uh, uh, the traditional sours. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't sure. I, I mean, out here in this area, oh, I guess even the Midwest, since one of the biggest ones are in Illinois. Illinois, they hate when you say Illinois. Um, uh, uh, like heavily fruited sours are like basically the I guess the new juice box for adults. So like, and I, I so many people like, like people love them, but then like so many people talk down on them. But I've always kind of thought like anything that brings more people to check out craft beer is a good thing whether you like it personally or not it's i mean it's it's a good thing yeah that's like remember when hazies weren't a thing yeah and but they're delicious yeah and uh i was i was there as a you know a beer judge like we were like man this is a flaw in an ipa so uh and we saw people doing really wonky things to get that haze and we were like dude this is a fad it's not gonna last but boy were we wrong well it's like i've i've had it's some like, uh, i've had some beers recently from like one of the most popular breweries um in this area and they pour almost like syrup like they're so thick like, that co2 barely uh goes into suspension and like the it like slowly bubbles to a head and I like I'd send a, a um a photo to it's uh to a friend of mine who's been a, a professional brewer for a long time and he's and it was it was like a reply with something was like yeah I remember when we used to kick our asses trying to uh, f- for clarity <laughs> true, true 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 yeah, yeah. but I mean I'm a big fan of the fruited sours as I sit here and drink one named after me with my <laughs> with my picture on it so the sands jams yeah. by full tilt i love this beer all right am i on you are i'm allowing okay. you to talk cool <laughs> um, yeah out in the west coast kettle, fruited heavily fruited kettle sours are huge and very popular um there's a couple of breweries out here that do them really well um and they bring people definitely bring people to your brewery and get people in the door and that's why we're kind of excited about trying one this week we don't have the the fruit dialed in yet but um you know one thing we stress here at oak park is just is education and that's one thing trying to get people in the door then you can have that conversation with them and tell them you know we have a table beer that's going to be on tap here this week and we have a group with no hops that's on tap um so we try to to focus on a wide variety of beers just because we want to be able to help educate people and open their minds to different styles of beers because when someone says they don't like beer in my opinion they just never tried yeah they haven't tried the right one the right one right yeah so there's i think there's a beer flavor style that would fit with anyone um they just need to to open their minds and try different things and that's what we try to do here um, we obviously love our classic styles, West Coast IPAs and lagers and pale ales. And I tell you, that's but, where that's where I have been actually returning to a lot lately. West Coast IPAs and just pilsners. Like, yeah. there there was that that brewery I mentioned earlier that like they're ridiculously popular for their heavily fruited sours, and they sent me a box of beer, 
and it was all these sours and then a Czech Pilsner. I had that Czech Pilsner <laughs> and it was the, yeah. that was the first one I drank and it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, I definitely yeah. have started to have much more of an appreciation for the crispy boys lately. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and then the other thing that's big out here on the West Coast, I'm sure it's big out there too, is pastry stouts. Um, yes. Higher right. ABV, heavy on the, the cereal additions or sugar additions and just very thick, like you were saying, and syrupy. Um, we've done one, technically it probably wasn't a pastry stout because it, it dried out. So yeah. where we, we wanted it to be drier than it should have than what a pastry stout would be. So, but we've done one Imperial stout that, um, had some adjuncts in it, but I made one with a local, I made one with a local brewery that was, um, three musketeers themed. Oh, so nice. the, it was a chocolate mousse stout. <laughs> and then we did wow. an, a, a variant of it aged in rum barrels. That was just Very mind cool. blowingly good. Um, and then there's still a whiskey barrel that it's aging wow. in that we're waiting nice. to try. So, okay, put me back on mute real quick. Yeah, you're on mute work. again. <laughs> He's on the move. He's on the move. So what? Um, whatever became of the People's Beer Company? Uh, it eventually, uh, the, my father was uh, the last one to hold it. And um, what, he had a um, contract with the U.S. Army, which was almost like a setup. And eventually it just went bankrupt. Uh, there was a time uh, that uh, even um, Nigeria was coming in. People, they had some people from Nigeria coming in to probably invest in it and save it. But there was a beer cartel at the time. And uh, they did something to my father called black bagging. Black bagging is when they try to push you off the shelves. The big boys do that. Yeah. And that's what they did to him. But he had a way around it. He actually brought another label, which was uh, Chief Oshkosh, which had a bigger distribution uh, project. And uh, they black bagged Chief Oshkosh. And so that really um, was a nail that uh, was in the coffin. But when he had those uh, gentlemen try to come over here from Nigeria because they heard a black man own a brewery and they were wealthy and they, I guess they were going to help him out. And so when uh, the beer cartel found about that, and uh, of course, when it's systematic racism, you can do it, systemic racism, what you can do is the government can help you out. They canceled all their visas, so they couldn't come over here. So, uh, you know, when you had all that going against you, eventually he was told by his sources inside the government that, uh, and other sources that uh, they basically were gonna do what they had to make sure that that was his last year, and it was, you know, but he, he was never one to give up. He still, um, he went right from there, and he started the first, uh, he didn't start, actually, there was a uh, hospital that was looking for help, and um, my father was the administrator of the hospital when he agreed to do it, and he actually saved the hospital, and uh, it was a black uh, it was actually a black-run hospital with black doctors and nurses and everything else, and he proved that it can be done. And uh, he made sure that uh, 
Blue Cross paid them, which they tried not to back in the day. But my father had part of the experience in the civil rights movement, so he knew how to put pressure on people. And uh, they lost, and my dad won, and that hospital won. But my father already had another vision. He was a guy that he was a businessman, so he he had business plans and other businesses because he said that's what he's going to do for the rest of his life, and that's what he did. So uh, he went from there and started a chain of group homes called Crispus Addicts, named after the first uh, person who died fighting for this country in the Revolutionary War. It was a black man called Crispus Addicts, and my father uh, named a chain of group homes after him that would take these young kids, mostly black, um, that would come from the courts, and the courts will give a decision if either you go to Crispus Addicts or you go to Juvie, which is uh, young folks jail. And uh, a lot of them chose Crispus Addicts. But what we did was we changed the hearts and minds. Uh, we told them what they could do. We gave them potential. And um, that gave strength to these people. A lot of them young men end up, if they stayed in our program for the duration, they all either got a GED or they um, graduated from high school. And um, some of them end up going to the military. I remember one of the worst guys. This guy was in the gang. He was terrible. He was all this stuff. I always had to deal with him because I worked there. You know, I was going to college, but on weekends, I worked at Crispin Addicts, was making a good salary doing that. So I was I worked for 24 hours, not for 48 hours straight. But anyhow, this young, I went into, I remember went in the club one day. And in my younger days, when I used to club, and um, this young brother came up to me. He was in, um, I think it was uh, Marines. He had his Marines outfit on, and he was like, how you doing, Mr. Mack? And I didn't recognize him. I said, how you doing, young man? He, I said, hey, I appreciate you, your service. And he said, you don't realize who I am. He said, yo, you're a soldier that's uh, fighting for my country. I realized that. He said, no, I'm... And when he named the name, I said, oh, that's you? He said, yeah. He said, I thank you for everything you guys did for me. He said, I know I gave you hell, but you turned me into a man, and I appreciate it. And so we have things like that. And then another one ended up, you know, he came back and he said, you know, he's playing football in college and all these things. We try to empower people. And that, you know, that's what I do now. And as I mentor, I try to empower. And, you know, as with people beer, uh, I just want this to be a platform for me to be able to help other people uh, with the book and um, hopefully a movie come out of it. And we're just going to keep pushing forward. And um, but it's not about me. Like like my father, it was never about him. It was about who he can help in the process. And uh, I remember once. One Christmas, I will never forget this, but this told me of the heart of my father. He had this big roll of money. It was a, it was a stack. I was like, wow. He said, I'm going Christmas shopping. I was just so happy. I was like, oh, I'm going to get so many gifts this Christmas. I was just, I couldn't wait till he got home. And the tea was gone like all day, deep into the night. I said, like, where's dad at? I'm waiting for, to, you know, see these bags come in. Then I had to go and find the Christmas presents, which I always did. But anyway. <laughs> Um, dad came back. It was late, no bags. And I'm like, I'm like bewildered. I thought you said you going Christmas shopping. He said, I did, son. He said, all y'all come in, I need to talk to you. And we like, where are the presents at? 
you don't need to talk to us. You need to show us the presence. But he said, as I was shopping, I was looking at people. And I saw a whole lot of hurting people. People were putting stuff back, couldn't afford it for their kids, and the kids, you know, crying and stuff at grocery stores. They couldn't afford this. We can't have that. We can't have that. And Pops ended up giving them, you know, I give this, this company said it was an old lady and two young kids, and they wanted all this stuff, and she couldn't really afford it. He gave her a couple of bills, I mean, a couple hundred dollars. And she screamed and hollered and got all this attention, but Dad didn't stay there. He walked to the other side of the store. He said, I saw this older white guy, you know. He looked like he had he had some better days. He, and he was struggling. He, he was looking to see what he did. Dad gave him 100. He just said, thank you, thank you. Oh, my God, thank you. God, it's good. Uh, okay. But Dad just went on up. He said he kept doing that. There was this white lady with her, with these little children. She did the same thing. See, it wasn't black or white. It was people that were in need. My father kept doing it to that stack of money was gone. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I don't know, it could have been thousands. I don't know, thousands of dollars. But we didn't get all them gifts. We got a few gifts, but we didn't get the big Christmas. And he taught me, it's not so much what you receive that matters. It's what you give that matters. And he said that was the best Christmas he ever had because he was giving and he was meeting people at their need. And it wasn't a black need or a white need. It was a human need. And he taught us to have that kind of heart because when we went to Oshkosh, we were the only black family in Oshkosh. Could you understand that? And when we left, I had people in the neighborhood coming up to me, thanking me for being in the neighborhood. I like, what? Why are you thanking me to be in They said, because we thought blacks were what you are portrayed of in acting TV. But you're not. They said, we had our own Cosby show right here in our neighborhood. Your father had owned one of the biggest companies in, in the city. Your mother worked at City Hall. And they always carried themselves with class and made sure we would not get in trouble. When trouble came, because my father, you know, he, he fought in the military. And he didn't want to. Let me tell you how that happened. When dad graduated high school, he just figured he was in Alabama. He graduated high school and he figured that he should have the same rights as anybody else to get an education. So he went to Alabama, University of Alabama. They threw his um, application in the trash. Who do you think you are? Think you're going to come to school with us? But dad is not a dude that's going to be deterred. So what he did was he went to Auburn University. Auburn University let him know that he wasn't welcome either. But then, a few weeks later, he gets something in the mail. Thank you for volunteering for the Army, which he never did. But instead of not doing it like you know, we had a president that, you know, had bones, said he had bone spurs. Um, when my father was dying, he was at the VA hospital. 
And I went to up in the VA hospital and they got a picture of our current president. On that picture, there was a sign, a small sign that said Cadet Bone Spurs. It stayed up there for the duration of my father being there. It's not like it was taken down. It was up because that's what the real soldiers felt about this dude. My father fought for this country. His hands got burnt by a flamethrower because he fought for this country. And then he come back and they tried to hang his brother. The Klan tried to hang his brother. But Mother Mac wasn't having it. She was out there with her shotgun. Said, you ain't hanging my boy. They took him to jail. They had a trial in that little town. They never seen so many black folks with guns, black folks in the streets. And when they came to trial, how could this black country lady end up getting these white lawyers? Not just one, but a couple of them. Civil rights lawyers from up north. And they told the judge that, you know, showed them a case where you have to have a um, jury of your peers. And that flabbergasted judge, he said, we don't have no nigs in juries here. This is Alabama. And they had to let them know this is the law. And so they're trying to get my grandmother at the time to, um, just settle for just giving them a short sentence. She said, no, because if you get them up in there, you're going to kill them. And she said, no. And what finally happened, they had my Uncle Will. They told him, you got 24 hours to get out of, not Georgia, get out of Alabama. And they were told at that time, the Klan is coming for him right then. But they never caught him. Uncle Will went up to um, Ohio, where he ended up being a pastor, then, you know, almost a bishop because he started churches. Changed his life because he saw his life get close, so close to death. And then one of his brothers, the oldest one who was double jointed and strong and everything, they were building smokestacks because the Max always did their business. Max used my father said Max are either gonna be preachers or they're gonna be businessmen. But we're gonna be leaders. So he was building a smokestack with Uncle Will. He stepped on this plywood board way up. It was rotten. He broke through. Uncle Will tried to grab him, but he knew if he would have grabbed him, he would have went over too. So he watched his brother go like this, snatch his arms back, and as he's going down, he just waved goodbye to his death. And my father was playing for Ohio State at that time, because when he left the Army, they tried to keep him in the Army because they wanted him to be an officer after they cheated to get him in there. They wanted to keep him in there 
and they wouldn't give him a discharge. But dad said, you know what? I know what my discharge date is. On his date, discharge date, they found that he played a little football for the Army, playing with prof professional players, and he knew he could play. And he said, okay. They said, hey, Mac, you need to go and get you a scholarship from one of the Northern colleges. They, they, they'll pay for your school. He said, what? He applied for Ohio State and Michigan. But he chose Michigan because that's where Uncle Will, well, he chose, I'm sorry, he chose Ohio State because that's where Uncle Will and the family was. And he played for Woody Hayes. But after his brother was killed in that accident, he had to quit school and he came home to be with the family. And after that, he reapplied and ended up going to uh, Marquette University in Wisconsin and played for their last football team. And before he died, they had a celebration for them being the last football team that uh, played for that university. But he'd been through a lot of stuff. But that only led to his greatness. And that's why I'm more than inspired to do this. This is my heart. This is my drive, you know. Yeah, so, like, uh, the only question oh, yeah. I have is, is there anything he didn't do? <laughs> he didn't give up. Yeah, I, I, that, he didn't do. He would not. We called him the wild bull, and he, when he went to Oshkosh, we got to understand he's the only black man. All that racism, because you know they they voted on ninety something percent for George Wallace at the time. Okay, but he said he told he went to the sheriff and told him, "Listen, I'm bringing my family up here." He says, and I don't need to see no burnt crosses on my yard. He said, because if you know the hotheads, you know the racist hotheads in this city. He said, you need to talk to them before I come up here. Because if they come and try to play with me, do understand that I'm not calling you. I don't need no backup. I fought for this country. I know how to handle myself. He said, I will not be calling you. I'll be calling the coroner to pick this dead buddy, this dead body off my grass. We had no problems. That's the kind of guy he was. When he brought the brewery, he lost all of his beer contracts, all 19 of them. It's like the next day, everything gone. Like, where are we going to get business from? But he says, son, and he wrote in his book, son, when, when the going gets tough, I send me. So here's this black man going to all 19 of those establishments. And he got 18 of them back. That's the kind of man he was. And it, know. while the, um, the, the end of the the brewery is obviously sad and a bad yeah. part of the story it almost sounds like that was for the best yeah <clears throat> with all the work he then did to probably help and reach more people with the group homes yeah but you know he um he always put it this way he said son i was trying to show what we can do he said that was my motivation showing that we had a capacity to do it that we don't have to beg anybody for anything. All we have to do is get an equal opportunity to show what we can do, and we can do it. 
And when I look at Oak Park, that's why I'm glad that we have this partnership and that uh, this expanding to uh, something bigger, more nationwide and worldwide, as uh, you just heard from a friend there <laughs> when he said world. That's that's what I'm talking about. When Raj said that, that's it. Because, see, Dad went to Africa. And they were going to do a plant in Africa. It was just that they weren't too, Dad didn't trust the stability of the people he was dealing with. He knew they had the money. But he didn't know what was happening. Because one of the people he was dealing with was Idi Amini. And you're young. You probably don't know who Idi Amini was. I do not. He wasn't, he wasn't a good guy. Okay. And he killed a lot of people. So I'm glad he, he just didn't want us in that environment. That's probably but, good because that one act probably could have completely yep. undid his, his positive we legacy. Talking, we might not have been talking today if he, we yeah. will. But the thing is that everything has a season. All that he's been through, now you're looking at his son. And when I was at that 50th year anniversary, when I was speaking to those people and the response that I got, and I looked out there, there were whites, blacks, and all that. It was like my daddy was speaking through me. I had these notes that I was going to write, but the sun was so bright and glaring, I couldn't even see my computer. I told him, I'm going to wing it. But after I got done, everybody told me what an awesome job it was. It was just pouring out truth and the heart. It was so amazing. And then I knew I, I chose the right company or the right company chose me, but I was made for this moment. You say I tell a good story and praise God that I do, but I have a story to tell my brother. And I'm gonna keep on telling this story because this was a story for this. You know, it didn't happen then, but guess what? Now is the season. Now is the time that it shall come forth. Because we got the right people. Some of those barriers are going to be torn down. Because when we admit what we've done and who we are and make amends, that's what happened with the Jews. I'm writing another book right now on mentoring. And looking at the past of what happened, I'm doing research of what has happened in the past. So I, I kind of know where America's roots came from, where this hate and this greed came from. And the only way is resolved is when the hate and greed came to Germany. It came out of Germany, matter of fact. It came out of Germany. When you look at the uh, look at the Berlin Conference when they decided to split up Africa for their greedy gain. Many lives were lost. They don't talk about the uh, two to 20 million that died in one of the countries. King Leopold decided, I want to control this part. And America definitely black backed them. And you know how they empowered they empowered them people, or not empowered, forced them people to be more productive. Didn't make sense, but this is what they did. They cut off their hands. Yeah, that, that seems counterproductive. 
Yeah, yeah, but if you say I'm gonna cut off your hands if you don't work till you die, you gonna, you gonna you gonna work. Yeah. And they have pictures showing people with sometimes both their hands cut off. Okay? So when you see that, that's gonna make you work. And through what they did, killing them, and then all the famine and disease that they brought on, millions died in that country, but we don't hear about it. That we were just cattle. I'm writing about it. I know what I'm talking about. But see, we are forgiving people too. Because if you cannot forgive, you cannot open the door to your next journey. So when people are angry about what happened in the election, you know, if you, you saw Dave Chappelle, what he said, I'm agreement, you know, <laughs> hey man, uh, we've been doing that, dealing with this for 400 years. You mad right now? Yeah, you're going to get over But what about not being recognized for 400 years? And even when they said they gave you your freedom, they took it away. Because we had senators, we had congressmen, we had black senators, black congressmen before Reconstruction. But what they did to save the country, keep it together, is they sacrificed the blacks again. They gave us back to the South. And that's Jim Crow. So, you know, this is the day there's been change. And in change, there's usually pain comes before change. I'm old enough to see it coming around twice during the civil rights movement, and then I see it now again. Okay. So that that's a that's a question I have then is as someone who has been around and witnessed how the the tensions and uh, the struggles and the fights for for such a long time, do you have hope and feel like? that we're at a moment where true progress will be made? Yes, it, and it depends totally on us. It depends totally, like it was last time, it depended totally on us. When they said, oh, we're going we're gonna to start doing things, and then the think tanks said, you know, we can play this game, call it reverse discrimination, and take those rights back away. Like when they said during Reconstruction, they said, oh, you're free, but we're going to take your rights away. <laughs> okay. This time, it's not just black folks, but it's a lot of white folks that say, hey, we got to make a change. Okay. That's the difference. And the other part is that every time it happens, you notice during the 60s, the change didn't come until they showed on TV those children getting bitten by them dogs and the fire hose that Bull Connor did on that changed the narrative because that's when America saw itself and it didn't like what it saw and said, we are not this. So when they saw the officer with his knee on the neck and saw his knee there until he died, they saw what I have seen many times. We used to, they ask, why the blacks run when police come? That's what I hear from white folks. Why they run? They shouldn't run. They wouldn't have got shot. No, no, no. Listen, you don't understand. In our history, 
if we were just standing on the corner, you had the right in the South to put us in jail for loitering and put it so high that we can pay it, the fine so high that we can pay it, and we become slaves again. And then you sent us out to companies like U.S. Steel to work in the coal mines until we die. And when we die, you burn us in the same fire furnace. And nobody never did nothing about it. We were still slaves, and you said we were free. And this happened until, uh, what, 1940s or something like that. We knew that when the police came, what they say goes. And for years, <laughs> you just ran. That you get caught, they can pull a gun out and then put it in your hand and shoot you down and you steal. Same stuff that was happening right now. When I was a kid, they were, I was taught that. I got two kids in college. One going to University of Wisconsin. One, uh, now I got three kids. All of them in college. I'm talking about my boys. My boys, is, uh, one is at the University of Wisconsin, the other one at Valparaiso in Indiana. My daughter is at FAMU, a black college in um, Florida. Doing her thing, she sings, beautiful voice, beautiful person. But with my boys, I, gotta te I teach her to protect herself. She said, Dad, I said, no, no, I'm going to teach you how to fight. Something happened to you, I want you to be able to protect yourself. My sons, I said, you're a black man in America. So that, put your hands up, undo all that. The police come, you do that, be nice and be super nice because you don't know if that's a KK clay behind that badge or not. And they can do what they want just like they did to that young man that got snuffed out on TV. That was like a public lynching. So we still got to forgive, you know. I'm not like Chappelle said. He said, but the thing is, I don't have no hating in me, but y'all hate each other. He's like, that ain't even right. He said, when worse stuff was done to us, I still don't have no hate. I get mad. I'm like my daddy. I'm going to stand up. But I'm not going to hate you. That's what um, I, I, I saw what you were talking about. And I thought what the one thing you said that made sense was he hates that feeling. Yep. He doesn't hate the people. He hates yep. that feeling. That's it. That's it. And you know when it happens to you. I hate that. When I was a little kid, when I, go in, when I was in Oshkosh, I go in the store, my parents send me to the store. I'm just going to the store, buy some groceries. But I see women, oh, oh no, grabbing their purse. Like, I'm gonna come get their purse. I see the security people, automatically, they follow me everywhere I go, like I don't see them. And it was a trip, because then, I'm a young guy, I watch these young white kids stealing them brine while they watching me. I'm like, ain't this something. But I wasn't doing that. 
My father, I was scared, more scared of my father than I was from the police. I was just going to say, from from the way you talked about your father, the, he's probably he's like, the one you had the most like, uh, most to worry yeah, about if you got out of line. This bitch looks like it's about that big to me. You know, and I, <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I tried it one time. That, that was a bad mistake. <laughs> I balled up my fist. He was giving me a whipping for something in school. And, and it was a trip. It was a racial thing. I didn't even do it. But it was the teachers didn't like me. I was only a black kid. And they always tried to get on me. There was these two. One in math and one in social studies. I'll never forget them. And no, not the one in math and one in woodworking. Woodworking of all things. My father came got me. He was beating me. And I knew it was wrong, so I was like so angry, I balled up my fist. And he said, oh, you're a man now. Then that did that. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> and then made me walk back to school. You know, you talking about somebody was hot, had murder in my eyes, but I still had to forgive. That's crazy. I, I'm, I'm the one that the injustice was done to, but I had to forgive. And my father apologized years later when I told him what was happening. He said, son, why didn't you just tell me you weren't hearing it? Pops, you were believing what they were saying, <laughs> you know? And he's like, sorry, son. But he told me, I'm proud of the man that you have become. You take care of your family. You raise your kids. They're in college. You've done well, son. You married a he. He loved. He fell in love with my wife before I did. <laughs> you know, and and as as these brothers, they saw my wife. She's a very beautiful lady, a very good person. You know, but uh, you know, and I, I'm lucky to have her. But I had to teach my sons to be independent. And so, with people's beer, this is legacy. This is my opportunity to give honor to that man who's on the wall back there, who did all this fighting so I can fight again. And I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that this goes the way it needs to go. Yes, yeah, opening up in Wisconsin, but let me tell you how God works. A young lady that I went to school with in Oshkosh, saw this uh, video that I made. And she said, this is so amazing. You were up there for the 50th anniversary. And she saw it and she's like, oh my God, that was so beautiful. She said, I've been in marketing and public relations for uh, 30 years. I'm gonna contact some of my reporter friends. And so, you know, after this virus thing, I'll be doing a story with Spectrum Cable up there. But then, a week later, she sends me another message, message on Facebook. Hey, you know, one of my clients, they used to distribute beer in Wisconsin. And I talked to them and they gave me the name of the president. I think you two need to talk. You seem like two extraordinary people. I think you need to talk. And you know about family businesses. Talk to this gentleman. And what I, I always know in business, in business, you got to make sure who you getting in bed with because it's like a marriage. And if you can't lay with that, you lay your life with that person and deal with that person, don't get in business with. 
You can't trust that person, feel there's something funny about that person, don't get in business with them. So I told him this, and he said, exactly right. And we had a good conversation. And after I got a feeling that this would work and had my uh, niece call up to, then I passed it on to Oak Park. And the rest is history. See, it's all coming together now, but I'm going to give my 110. So um... <clears throat> one thing, one thing that uh, the mayor told me was, he said, nobody can tell the story of your father like you can. He says, you're going to be the face of this, this, this beer. And I believe it's for a reason, brother. So what were you going to say, man? Um, I was going to ask, when when is it that the, the books come out again? It, it was early books, next year, right? Uh, the books will be coming out next year. Okay. Um, our main focus right now is really pushing the beer to the point yeah. that we, need to we know that it's being distributed in certain parts of the country. Then I believe the books will come and there will be another leap that this project is going to take. And then... Um, Hopefully, it's an, uh, we have a nationwide plan, and that's going to be another leap. Uh, then, um, you know, who knows, you know, movies or whatever, because it's a story that needs to be told. Um, and it's an it's a, it's American story. It's an American story of fighting to the end, but doing it right, you know what I'm saying? And never giving up. And having the grit of America. This is a real American who fought and did it all the right ways, but the government fought against him. But this time, one thing that the president-elect said that touched my heart, he said, you have our backs. Now, I'm going to have your back. And so I believe him. And I believe that he has a good heart. I told you, I always look at a person's heart. I looked at the last one that was in there, that is in there currently. I looked at his heart, too, and I'm not going to talk about it. But I'm going to talk about this man because he has a good heart. And that might be very good for this country. Because we need reconciliation in more ways than one. See, all my father said, all we as blacks want, we don't want to say that we're better than you. All we want is the same rights as Americans as you have. And if we get the same rights and same opportunities, let us do what we do. That's what he did back then, and they stopped him. That's what I'm doing right now, and it's not. Look at, look at the screen. Look at Jeff. Look at Rod. This is America, baby. And I'm loving this family because we're fighting on one call, American call. It says, we the people, not us the people or they the people. It says, we the people. You can't cut nobody out. It's all opportunity to rise, let this country rise and be what it is. So I'm excited. I know I talk a little too much. My wife and they're laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> but you got me, you got me hyped up, man. I'm, I appreciate it. Man. So is the, um, 
are the plans for the next areas of the country where the people's beer will be available solidified or is that still in in the uh, finalization I too much in it uh what i will say there are ongoing plans that's very yeah. possible you're on un, you're unmuted jeff if you want to weigh in on that <laughs> yeah we um i think ultimately the the first two places we would like to try to to push the beer out to would be georgia and wisconsin um, those are the ones we've actively, as Mr. Mack relayed, he's come into contact with a distribution company there. And I know um, KJ's reached out to a couple of distribution companies in the Georgia area as well. Uh, so now it's just a matter of making the beer for one and then doing all the, the research on contracts and stuff like that to start getting beer shipped out there. So Awesome. Um, well, I hopefully you keep me up to date on that so i can spread the word on that and i hope eventually soon that it'll be available in the dc area so i'm sure it would be very well received okay and i hope that there's an audio version of those books that you are the reader of ted (laughs) great idea that's the plan that is the plan (laughs) actually i was told that i was reading it to one of my mentees I was telling him the project and I said, let me read some of it to you. And he was sitting there, he said, Mr. Mack, he said, I'm just amazed by hearing it. I, the, the words, that how you say it, it, it just has me amazed. I'm sitting here in awe. He said, that's what you should do. You should record it so there will be an audio version. I think it would be criminal if there wasn't an audio version of you reading it. <laughs> oh, I mean, one, just the passion uh, that you're going that's going to come through from you being the reader of it and yeah. your voice is phenomenal wow thank you. <laughs> yours is great too jeff we just didn't get to hear <laughs> I, I, it I much with that. i'm sorry you don't have to, you don't have to, to sugarcoat it for me <laughs> so have, have you two been drinking the people's beer because it looked like you're drinking 16 ounce cans but i've only seen pictures of 12 ounce cans or is it going to be available in both so yes, we are drinking a 16 ounce version of okay. it. Um, the original first recipe we did in six pack, 12 ounce cans. Um, and then the 50th anniversary version, which you see here is we did in the 16 ounce cans. Okay. So moving forward, I think we are going to stick with the 16 ounce cans moving forward. Cause you can actually yeah. buy them. Yes. Yeah. The <laughs> they're really hard to come by. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, I think some at some point we should we should dedicate a whole episode to talk about Oak Park um, wow. and get an, yeah. an in-depth story of you guys, too. Um, yeah. may, maybe do like an update episode in a few months or whenever when you can give more de- a little more details on distribution of the people's beer. Um, and then Very we can go in depth of telling uh, a park story. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. So thank you gentlemen so much for your time and you. You, the, the story it's, I, the, the information that Raj had sent me made it sound interesting. Um, but it was way better than that. So, wow. Thank, 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 and thank I, say, if I can say like before we chime off Chris, yes whatever you want 
thank you for having us. And, uh, you know, it's like Mr. Max said, man, this is, we're on a paradigm shift right now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with his story and this is the rebirth, you know, it's kind of like you have to be crucified to come back. Yeah. Wow. You know, so with the uh, knowledge and the know-how and the technology, we're going to move forward. But like, I got to thank you for like, man, responding. Yeah. You know, because this is something huge for us. And uh, we definitely want you to be a part of this. You know, it's like maybe one day we'll all write a book talking about the people's beer movement, you know. So uh, thank you for having us. And uh, we know the beer didn't get to you today, but when you have it in hand, Jeff and I, we're going to go live on our live stream on Thursday at 4 p.m. If you can chime in, you okay. know, we can do like a little review on the beer and you can talk about the beer. But uh, we definitely want to, you know, have your input on the product. But uh, Mr. Mack. Yes, sir. I don't even want to talk after you speak. So. I don't either. I don't I'm either. Just like, dude, we can just show our faces and be like, yeah, we brewed it, kegged it, kegged yep. it, and let you handle rest. But all team, brother. One love. We grew it blessings. together. You know. Blessings all this around. This is my part. You have your part. And as a team, we're going to make it work. Yes, we will. I think yeah. my father would want, and that's what he must be loving in heaven right now. Yeah, that I'm connected to guys like you and people like Chris can bring us on and get the story told. This is powerful and I'm thankful because this was a country that held him back. But it's allowing his son to make that comeback. And I'm thankful. Heart love. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris, for having us. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to a follow up as well as some chats on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys. And um, thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.